0: It's my pleasure to introduce Martin Van Nikov, who serves as Director of the Agriculture Global Practice at the World Bank here in Washington, D.C. In his capacity, Martin provides leadership and global oversight to the agriculture sector, dialogue, portfolio management, and partnership relationships covering a wide range of issues, including food security and food safety, agricultural productivity and competitiveness, agribusiness and post-Harvard value addition, and climate resilient agriculture. Prior to his current position, he has held numerous managerial and leadership positions covering the bank's engagement on agriculture in Africa, Latin America, and South Asia. Martin is a Dutch national, holds a postgraduate degree in agricultural economics, and a degree in business administration from Georgetown University, Washington, D.C so he's the right man to create more trouble good trouble well thank you very much uh for this very nice um, introduction Um, one thing he actually didn't say actually i I grew up i also grew up on a farm my parents were actually had a horticulture farm in the netherlands so um you know i also speak very much from the heart i mean when it comes to those issues Uh, so thank you very much for this introduction i'd like to talk about three things i mean some reflections about the sobering results of this uh, report uh, then some reflections on climate resilience in, in, in general. And then uh, some details of what the World Bank actually is doing. I mean, some things are actually happening. Um, now, first of all, some reflections about the um, sobering results. I mean, I think it's already mentioned uh, earlier, but I mean, I think the sobering thing is actually that the trend is continuing. Uh, and also, as said earlier, that the trend actually is broadening now, also covering South uh, South America, and also stalling in um, progress in 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 Asia, and also this is happening during a time of abundant food. I mean food prices are 40 percent lower than 10 years ago at the food price crisis in nominal, nominal terms. I mean, global food stocks in, in grains are at um, close to all-time uh, levels. So this is happening during abundance of food. Um, and and you know, even during the food price crisis 10 years ago, the hunger figures were going down. So, so, so what's happening here? At the same time, there are some dark clouds emerging in the skies. I mean, this is what our research department is telling senior management at the bank, which actually makes it more difficult for countries to respond to it. I mean, rising interest rate, concerns about trade, um, rising debt levels, etc. cetera. This is all being discussed at our annual meetings this week in, in Bali. Um, the question is whether the increase in hunger is reflective of broader issues of the global food system. It's not just hunger. I mean, 820 million is, is bad, but of course, you know, there are two billion people who are under malnourished and undernourished. that two billion people who are overweight and obese. The global food system. Along with land use states, emits 25% of global greenhouse gas emissions, and one third—I mean the best estimate we have—of global agriculture production is actually lost uh, to food loss and waste. Uh, so, is this indicative of broader problems that we uh, that, that we see? Um, now, the bank, of course, um, our mission is to eradicate absolute poverty and force a shared prosperity. So what does the increase in hunger actually mean for achieving the SDG 1? Uh, because if you look at those figures here, it's kind of interesting that based on the figures we have and the latest are from 2015 that actually global poverty numbers are still going down Well actually hunger numbers are actually rising. So what's happening here? The bank will come out uh, next week with a uh, during World Poverty Day with, uh, with its latest findings. Um, confirming uh, with the latest estimates that we have for 2017, but at the same time, it's clear also that when it comes to poverty, that the um, rate of poverty reduction, which was one percentage point a year, actually has been halved since 2011. And actually, the the latest uh, years actually show that um, there are questions whether the Eradication of absolute poverty by 2030, 3% can actually be reached. Uh, So, in that sense, equally, there are concerns about uh, uh, achieving SDG 1. What do we know about poverty and climate change, Uh, which is the focus of this report, uh, the Hunger Report that came out and we're talking about today? Um, We did a study actually in 2016 shocks ways managing the impacts of climate change on poverty. And that study actually found that climate change could have a large effect on extreme poverty. By 2030, an additional 122 million people could fall into poverty because of climate change, according to that report. It found that climate change could significantly f- reduce food, available, food availability in poor regions. And that agriculture is the main sectoral driver explaining high poverty due to climate change. And the key recommendations is to kind of build up rapidly resilience in agriculture production system. This is also the recommendation coming from the hunger report. So in that sense, there's clear convergence. Um, this brings me to my second part, I mean, so, so, some reflections about Moving food systems, uh, boosting food system resilience. Now, first of all, of course, we cannot ignore. I mean, the IPCC report that came out um, uh, just yesterday, a few days ago. Um, 1.5 degrees is a new two degrees. Um, we are on track, or on track, but you know, uh, the Paris commitments. If countries do what we, what they told they would do uh, in 2015, we will get to three degrees. Um, Limiting warming to 1.5 degrees compared to 2 degrees is is projected to smaller net reductions in yields that limits to adaptive capacity. So when we think about building resilience, we also should should think about mitigation. Carbon removal is now part of the scenarios. What does it mean for agriculture? Uh, I want to actually quote, I mean, one thing from the uh, report, that actually climate change from the IPCC report. Climate change threatens the possibility of achieving SDG2 and could reverse the progress made. Um, in this regard, initiatives such as climate smart food production and distribution systems may assist adoption via technology and ad- adaptation strategies for food system as well as mitigation goals. So basically, also the IPCC report is clearly saying that when it comes to agriculture, we need to think about resilience and adaptation. Um, when we at the bank uh, talk about climate smart agriculture we very much think about the triple win i mean and we see many opportunities for triple win to increase productivity enhancing resilience and reducing emissions at the same time simultaneously uh, this is happening as we speak there are many initiatives going on and also climate smart agriculture is not really rocket science also governance i mean the good news also that governments are committed i mean if you look at the ndcs and the indcs uh, references made, I mean, to agriculture as part of the INDCs and 30 countries actually specifically mentioned climate smart agriculture. Also uh, the d- decision at COP23 a year ago, I mean, to put agriculture on the global climate uh, negotiations agenda provides opportunities to think about implementation modalities and operational uh, arrangements, I mean, or how to go about. Um, mainstreaming climate into the agriculture uh, sectors. There's a huge knowledge gap, and I think organizations like IFPRI, FAO, the World Bank can actually inform the negotiators uh, in making the right uh, decisions. Also, there's a broader global movement uh, on global alliance, the Global Alliance of Climate Smart Agriculture that is now operational in many countries, in many uh, regions across the world. Also, with a very active youth wing. I think that's also encouraging. Um, now, we can talk about climate-smart well because but actually what can be done about it? I mean, uh, we see a few important building blocks. I mean, one is alternative wetting and drying in rice. Uh, if that is being mainstreamed, uh, food production could go up by 15 percent, or yields can go up by 15 percent. A significant emissions reduction, 0.2 uh, gigatons per year, as well as irrigation water savings c- could be achieved. I mean, building resilience. That's one example uh, that we think should be mainstreamed. Uh, what, when it comes to the overuse of fertilizers, I mean, what could be done if, the, if China's excess fertilizer use would be uh, applied in Africa instead? Major opportunities. We can do double grain yields, we could uh, reduce emissions by uh, 0.36 gigaton per year, as well as uh, reduce nit- nitrogen leaching in China, contributing to uh, resilience there. So another example of a, of a win-win. Uh, What if you made all livestock farmers as efficient as the top 10 percent? I mean, uh, lower emissions um, is very much associated with higher yields, particularly when it comes to the 2,000 kilogram milk per cow per year. Um, Potential reductions uh, compared to the without, uh, 30 30 percent. And higher incomes of farmers, actually, that uh, is an important driver for uh, resilience. Rice fertilizers, as well as the... um, the greenhouse gas emissions uh, caused by excess uh, nitrogen um, emissions, I mean, are the three major drivers when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions in agriculture. So here we have three solutions that actually could be made. I and mean, those are just a few examples. I mean, climate-smart agriculture can be done. We can go beyond moving, talking about it, and actually it's already happening. Um, the other thing that we are very positive about and uh, is the uh, the, the potential of disruptive technologies, uh, I think, that also provides an upside in dealing with climate resilient uh, agriculture. Uh, the, the World Economic Forum has been very active in that. Uh, we've been working with McKenzie on the transformative twelve uh, technologies actually that could transform agriculture and actually boost resilience in the sector by changing the shape of demands and promoting value chain linkages and creating effective production systems. And here a few uh, examples are being provided. Now, th- those examples here is not just talk, I mean basically those examples here of those technologies. Uh, those are technologies that have received venture capital um, financing. So those are actually technologies that are in the pipeline and actually makes us hope, make, make us hopeful. Um, now what are we doing at the World Bank Group? Um, first of all, I mean, all our uh, operations now are being informed and have to comply with certain climate change requirements, including in agriculture. Um, so all our financing is subject to climate and disaster risk screening. Um, greenhouse gas accounting I mean basically to calculate i mean the greenhouses gas emissions uh, cost i mean uh, by the by the by the financing of the project that we are considering use of the social price of carbon in our economic and financial analysis using a shadow price of forty dollars per ton, and also the calculation of climate uh, co benefits um, now of course, you know what we do is demand driven uh, so uh, so To the extent that we want to boost demand from our client countries, this is on the left-hand side of the slide, we actually do climate-smart agriculture country profiles, climate-smart investment plans, actually, to synthesize our clients to the importance of climate-smart agriculture. Um, And then in response, I mean, we we are building up our climate-smart agriculture uh, portfolio. Last year, uh, the World Bank lending for agriculture was 4.8, was was $4.6 billion. Uh, total of which we had 45% climate co-benefits. So basically, we invested about $2 billion last year in uh, climate-smart agriculture. Uh, The the, the interesting thing there is that if you look at the economic analysis, actually, this is good business for farmers. I mean, you don't have to talk about climate change to farmers to to justify climate-smart agriculture. The returns look very good. And, of course, if you include, I mean, the shadow price of of carbon, I mean, the uh, returns also from a social societal uh, point of view actually are very, very attractive. We're also very pleased, actually, that we're moving now to large projects. Actually, we are in the process of scaling up. I mean, this is not just pilots. I mean, we did a big project. Our biggest project we did last year was our Maharashtra for half a billion (laughs) dollars in climate smart agriculture investment in the state of Maharashtra in India. Um, We're also kind of working on uh, stepping up our work on the World Bank Agriculture Observatory where we try to kind of provide near real-time advice, I mean, to farmers about weather patterns and actually do predictions about uh, yields and production uh, months ahead of harvesting time by combining groundwater stations, ground radar and satellites, I mean, to actually come up with 1.5 million virtual MET stations uh, that are able to provide 7 billion data points that are updated every six hours. So, actually, we can – and we are working, we're moving forward, actually, to install those systems in our client countries. As we speak, actually, we have a team in Kenya working on this. Uh, You might have heard at the uh, UNGA two weeks ago that the the bank with all the partners, UN, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon put in uh, in place the famine action mechanism uh, where we kind of see uh, artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning and bring that to bear to detect early signs of uh, food shortages. Uh, So this is just launched and, you know, we hope to become more effective there. One big thing uh, when it comes to addressing. Uh, climate challenges in agriculture we think you know being a financial institution is of course i mean the 500 billion subsidies and market price supports are being provided to agriculture every year most of that actually is in developing countries this is not just oecd Uh, a lot of allocative and technical inefficiencies associated with this 500 billion generating a lot of negative environmental externalities we think and some countries regions are moving in that direction by decoupling those subsidies from production decisions that actually this, this uh, 500 billion can be used as a force for the good to get better climate uh, outcomes um, in, in agriculture. Of course, this is politically very sensitive, but I think, you know, I mean, given the challenges ahead, we need to kind of put it on the table, and that's what we're working on in the context of the global climate negotiations. Another big area is um, even if when we do 4 billion, 2 billion, uh, climate-smart agriculture, it's, it will never be enough. I mean, for that reason, we need to bring in private sector financing into agriculture for climate-smart agriculture. In the end, prior agriculture <coughs> is a private sector um, undertaking. So, so we think, I mean, we can bring uh, value to the table there to actually make that happen and we're building that into our project to the maximizing financing for development process was adopted last year, improving the enabling environment. Uh, <coughs> Promoting the principles of responsible investments go beyond the kind of the local effects, and also, you know, uh, working with climate-smart investment plans with, with countries in making that in making that happen. Um, and of course, uh, a major area there is also food loss and waste. One third of the agricultural production is lost. If you can actually get a handle on that, that will also improve. I mean, um, uh, resilience. It will improve also. Uh, probably moving forward on food security uh, questions that we have on the table today. Um, so that's it, uh, so thank you very much for your attention and looking forward to the panel discussion. Thank you.